What, what do you say to people who say that, you know, y'all are proving somebody like Kanye, right? Because Kanye says, hey, Jewish people have all the power, and then he loses everything. Well, look, the, the, insidious, the insidious nature of anti-Semitism and these tropes about power is Kanye can say these things. Jews have all the power. They're controlling everything. And if we don't get him, you know, if we don't deal with that, the myth spreads mm-hmm. and it takes root. If we do address that and there are consequences, he says, aha, proves my point. So it's kind of a damned if you do, damned if you don't scenario. Mm-hmm. And we're kind of stuck. We can't ignore it because it has, again, consequences. And if it gets addressed, he says, see, proves my point. But I mean, that's just the insidious and uh, ugly nature of anti-Semitism. And this happens. This didn't used to happen. This happens now every time. We have to speak out every time anti-Semitism rears its ugly head, a lesson I learned early on, regardless of when, regardless of where it is, regardless of when it happens. And the reason we have to is you know better than I do. Indifference, indifference is silence, and silence is consent. Folks, racism, anti-Semitism, homophobia, transphobia, they're all connected. Welcome back to another episode of Our Interesting Times. It is my pleasure to have Dr. E. Michael Jones back on the show. Of course, Dr. Jones is the editor of Culture Wars magazine, author of many excellent books, including the recently published The Dangers of Beauty, Conflict Between Mimesis and Concupiscence in the Fine Arts. Dr. Jones, how are you doing this evening? Good, Tim. Good to, good to be with you again. Well, thank you for coming back on the show. Uh, Merry Christmas. Thank you. And, well... A uh, number of things I want to talk to you. You recently, uh, in the uh, December issue of Culture Wars, you wrote a review of a biography of Henry Morgenthau, the, the Secretary of the Treasury for Franklin Delano Rosa, I think of 12 years. Um, and we can talk about this uh, ongoing Twitter controversy, the Twitter files that have been gradually released over the, the last month of re- uh, revealing a uh, collusion or conspiracy, if you will, between big tech, particularly in this case, Twitter, between uh, the Democratic National Committee, the FBI, the Director of National Intelligence, uh, Department of Homeland Homeland Security, probably the Department of Justice, endless uh, list of uh, alphabet soup agencies in conspiring to uh, manipulate, I guess, public opinion, uh, I guess curate or I guess censor uh, public discourse on any number of of of, of uh, political issues, uh, electoral politics, uh, issues like COVID or the um, uh, what's going on in Ukraine, um, and also the role of the ADL in all of this. So I'll let you take it away from there. Take it away. Yeah, we have experienced uh, dramatic changes in the internet uh, in the, over the past month. Uh, largely because Elon Musk bought uh, Twitter and because he uh, got involved with Twitter and started to change the policies that uh, no one knew had been established because they don't share the secrets with you. So the, the, the story began when uh, Jack Dorsey is a Catholic from St. Louis who created Twitter. And at a certain point, a Jew by the name of Cohn decided he wanted to take it over. He did. And then he forced uh, Dorsey out. And at that point, uh, Twitter took uh, the uh, turn for Jewish thought control. The, the uh, crucial figure in this guard was a man by the name of Yoel Roth. He was um, a homosexual, a Jew, uh, did his doctoral dissertation on grinder dates that he had gone on, uh, in other words, sexual encounters with other homosexuals. And uh, during his tenure as head of uh, safety and something else, I think safety and transparency, that was an Sa- awful- Safety and trust, I think, yeah. Safety trust, and tr- trust. and safety. By the way, how, 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 did, how did you get a PhD in there? What's the peer review uh, 
criteria on that. <laughs> sure the PhD is the crucial issue here. Yeah. Uh, but uh, uh, it turns out that under under his uh, under his tenure, um, you had basically the imposition of the two main uh, pillars of uh, Jewish thought control. So number one, pornography, and number two, uh, uh, banning people for hate speech. These are the twin pillars of control, Jewish control of the internet. And he was in, involved in implementing that at, at uh, Twitter. So it, Twitter had become notorious over this period of time because simply because of the evolution of pornography on the internet. It's always changing. It's always a function of some type of new technology. And so it ran from uh, basically Hollywood type scenarios to uh, amateur people buying webcams and then taking pictures of themselves. And then at a certain point, Pornhub came into being, which was funded by Wall Street money uh, to basically buy up everything and become the, the porn monopoly, which it did. And then suddenly there were two new laws passed about sex trafficking and suddenly Pornhub dumped a million of its videos. Uh, out of fear of uh, lawsuits. Uh, so at this point, uh, Twitter became the main vehicle for uh, pornography over the internet. Uh, and uh, um, so it wasn't just that. It's, it's like, okay, if you go to a place called Pornhub, uh, it's pretty clear what you're interested in doing. But with Twitter, you never knew when pornography was gonna show up. This was the really pernicious thing about their entry into the pornography business. And it was Joel Roth who was responsible for it. So you could type in if you're, <clears throat> okay, so you're interested in the situation in Iran and you type in hashtag uh, hijab about the hijab crisis, it's all pornography. You're flooded with pornography and that's not, apparent by typing in hijab. As a matter of fact, if you type in hijab, it looks as if you're looking for the opposite. Same thing with any number of things, you know, perfectly innocent things like the name of a country, suddenly you're flooded with pornography. You never knew when it was going, when it was going to pop up. Now that was significant. And it all changed when uh, Elon Musk took over the, took over Twitter. Within 48 hours, now, the other thing that I forgot to mention is that there were constant complaints about child pornography on Twitter, and uh, Roth and company defended that, saying that it didn't uh, violate uh, Twitter's policy. Within 48 hours of uh, uh, Roth either getting fired or quitting, everything changed. And so now if you go on to uh, hashtag hijab, it's what you would expect. It's girls talking about hijab or people taking off their hijab in Haran or something like that. It's not pornography. That is a significant thing. And the other thing, significant thing was that uh, Musk uh, created amnesty for uh, those that had gotten kicked off. So I got back on. Uh, other people got back on. Uh, it turns out that part, uh, uh, now uh, Musk is releasing internal files to Matt Taibbi and it turns out that Roth was heavily involved with the FBI. He was also heavily involved in the basically the conspiracy to deplatform Donald Trump. So he was at the heart of all of these things. Now he's gone, and the the ADL's upset. The ADL's they're coming up with all of these imaginary uh, 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 issues accusing uh, Musk of all these things. It, they're very simple. The issue is when Roth left and pornography and deplatforming uh, were uh, dropped, the Jews lost control of Twitter. And they're not gonna, uh, uh, Jonathan Greenblatt is not gonna take that lying down. And so now they're mounting a campaign to get rid of uh, Elon Musk from the operation that he bought. So that, that's pretty much where things stand now in terms of the battle over Jewish control of the internet. I think they'll blow it up like they did the, uh... The North Stream pipeline. <laughs> there, there's an element to that. I think what yeah. happened is that they got uh, Musk to buy it at the top of the market. Uh huh. And now, so then they're going. Now they're going to crash it, try and crash it, drive the price down, and then the the Jewish tactic of buying it back up again at pennies on the dollar. Uh, 
is that one of those pernicious tropes or uh, canards we hear about, the Jews having financial one, control? One of those canards that we <laughs> also talk about, if you want to. Uh, even though they openly talk about maneuvering and planning and scheming to uh, undermine Elon Musk or whoever, whatever critic they've decided to target, yes. Um, so um, the new the new wrinkle is uh, so Roth is communicating with the FBI, and now it's not clear from the new information. But who's in charge here? Is the FBI controlling Yoel Roth? Uh, as far as I know, that had nothing to do with pornography. From what I'm saying, there's certain sources that they didn't want him allowing on. There were other sources, government sources, that they wanted. But this also brings up the whole First Amendment issue. Mm -hmm. Because the whole excuse here before this was it's a private company. Hey, we don't have to, they don't have to follow the First Amendment. Well, no, it's not a private company. The FBI is controlling the operation. The FBI is a government agency. And so the First Amendment rules should apply here. We should uh, be protected. This, this should be protected speech. Well, that's the big battle right now. Uh, the question, and, and in the middle of it, you have the whole Kanye West thing which is basically he, he comes out and says, you know, he's got these Jewish controllers, including his personal trainer, uh, and they're trying to destroy him. And because he said that, they did try to destroy him. So within, you know, 48 hours, he lost a uh, billion dollars. Now, I, I, you know, I was, we were actually trying to talk to Kanye during this period of time. It didn't work out. He got on his plane flew to Texas and spent three hours uh, ranting on Alex Jones's show, saying pretty much exactly what the ADL wanted him to say. So what does Hitler have to do with this? Well, absolutely nothing, but Kanye brought up Hitler. And, and, and once again, you could kind of hear the champagne corks popping at ADL headquarters when he did that. What he should have done is basically said, look, this guy, these people, uh, Try, are trying to destroy me. They're Jews. It is a category of reality. And no one should have this power. I mean, the whole point of the, of the First Amendment of the Constitution is the government, which is supposed to be the most powerful actor in our society, should not have this power. And now you have non-governmental entities that have more power than government. And we are having trouble uh, adjusting to this thing how uh, some we have to resolve this issue we can't leave it hanging and Kanye was an example I think he had an opportunity that he lost because of the way he handled it but the story is out there who gave these people the right to ruin your life how, how come you have if the government tries to do this you have recourse but if private entities like this which are really covert government operations anyway if they do it you have no recourse. There's something wrong with this picture. Yes, the First Amendment, which um, it's sort of the civic um, uh, religion, if you will. It's what defines America. It's the idea of the, of the First Amendment, freedom of speech. Um, we can discuss these things without fear of, of retribution. Of course, that's not the case because of groups like outfits like the ADL. Um, and uh, you do have uh, a situation where you have now government agencies actively colluding with private agencies to suppress free speech, intimidate people, uh, in interfere in public discourse. And something like the FBI, I mean, I, may, may, at this point, it may, may seem a little uh, piquant to point out, but they're acting like a political body. And it's a, it's a politicized law enforcement agency, as you say, Jewish law enforcement at this point. And uh, that's obviously that's an abuse of power. If not criminal, it's, I'm sure laws are being broken here. And if not the federal, at least, at least at the state level, and uh, yeah, you know, there's this is all interstate. So you could you could see in all 50 states, or potentially uh, the, among the several states at least, and also next January, when Republicans take over the House of Representatives to have committee hearings to investigate this matter. You know, let, let's shelve the January 6th, you know, <laughs> a, a, a side show and. Uh, Let's have a real hearing on this stuff and, you know, let's subpoena people, you know, but then again, with Merrick Garland at the head of the Department of Justice, I don't suspect we'll be seeing any indictments come down for the offenses or what crimes that are, are being revealed. No, that's part of the crisis. We have, look, you know, we don't, we never had a king here when they asked Tom Paine, you know, what's America? Um, in America, the law is king. It is what it is. Okay. 
But right now we have a complete subversion of the rule of law, largely by Jewish prosecutors who have been appointed with George Soros money. So in, in some instances, they simply will not enforce the law uh, in cities like Philadelphia, where Larry Krasner is the, is the DA, or if you get to the national level with the FBI, the Justice Department, you have the, the, the uh, arm of government, the Justice Department being weaponized to go after people that the Democrats don't like. Uh, for example, the guy, um, uh, I think his name was Knopf in, in uh, Pennsylvania, the right to lifer, the FBI, 30 FBI agents with drawn guns show up and uh, drag this guy out of his house. Married man with eight, eight children, you know, traumatizes the entire family. For what? For what? His lawyer could have called up the, uh, someone else's lawyer and they could have resolved it over the phone. So what is the point of this? To spread terror among a population which uh, Merrick Garland uh, and the Jews who believe that abortion is a fundamental Jewish uh, value uh, don't like. Well, this is, uh, this is a, the, the complete destruction of the rule of law. And, and the, the right to uh, free speech is going right down the drain with it. This is a serious crisis. We have to address this. We can't let this go on this way. And with, you know, someone like Yoel Roth installed at Twitter, and I'm sure there's similar commissars at Google or, at, you know, uh, at YouTube or at other social media sites, media sites, um, the public discourse is, again, is being controlled uh, by these individuals. Someone like Yoel Roth, who, you know, is a homosexual who indirectly advocates, you know, at least child sex. Um, at least he obstructed uh, uh, efforts at, at, at uh, Twitter to take down that material. He, if you read his, uh, at least I read excerpts from his um, dissertation, he seems to be arguing for facilitating uh, youth gay sex, which is again grooming. It's, it's you know you're, you're you're exploiting the vulnerability of, of damaged people. If these are the people, how is it someone like Yoel Roth of his low caliber be put in a position where he's determining what's acceptable public discourse? Um, the again, question, so. at the same time that uh, this is happening, the chairman of uh, Yale, uh, one of the departments at Yale says that uh, homosexuals should perform perverted sex acts in front of children because it will prevent them from becoming ra racist if they watch this type of stuff. Now he's Jewish too. Now, yeah. how long does it have to go before we can say, well, there's a category here that we simply have to deal with in terms of public discourse? H how long does this have to go on? This is precisely what happened with when Kanye went on Tim Pool. Tim Pool says, well, Kanye says the Jews did this to me. No, that's not true. It, just because one Jew, well, no, Tim. You're, you're making yourself deliberately stupid by refusing to form a category that needs to be formed. It has to be part of public discourse. Uh, we have to have some way of dealing with this Jewish subversion of our culture that's been going on for over a half a century now. Yeah, you, it's interesting how they, this, they use, I guess they call it intersectionality, but they... they, they they kind of uh, fold different agendas into one thing. Joe Biden at the uh, signing ceremony for the uh, Respect for Marriage Act, the Orwellian law that they just signed that codifying same-sex marriage, uh, he, in a speech, he said that uh, uh, racism, homophobia, transphobia, and anti-Semitism were all the same. So if you're questioning, say, the grooming of young kids like uh, – um, he actually, they invited a drag queen performer to the White House. who actually sent out a tweet earlier this year saying that kids are here to sing and dance and suck D. That's the individual they had performing there. Yeah. I think um, this is so the president, the White House, the government is actually promoting grooming and the sexualization of children. This is something is really new. They've been doing this for the better part of 60 years, I think. But now it's openly hostile and aggressive and it's, it's predatory now. Uh, this is something that people have to have to contend with. And <laughs> President Joe Biden, uh, in that speech, he said he got in trouble 10 years ago identifying the group that's responsible for today's events. What group was he talking about? <laughs> talking about Will and Grace? Yes. <laughs> that, 
famous uh, statement where he thanked uh, the Hollywood Jews for subver uh, subverting sexual morality with sitcoms like Will and Grace. Yeah, he actually referred to it in the, in, during his speech. I was watching it. I knew exactly what he was talking about. Yeah. Um, again, so, why? I mean, it was like um, people have to, again, the, you're talking, it's a category issue. The, people don't understand the power dynamics behind this, the organizations behind it, the the vast foundations and funding that goes into supporting that, that is almost exclusively Jewish. If you, if you, if you drill into it, look into it, they're promoting all this. And if you can't, like you said, if, like, so if you're thinking like Tim pools, it's like, these are just a bunch of individuals who happen to be Jewish that are doing this as opposed to organized Jewry doing this. That's another, you know, yeah, that's a different, you, you they have a misunderstanding or I think it's willful. It's a willful misapprehension or unwillingness to look at it because if they do look at it, then they, they'll find themselves being, targeted as well you know like kanye west you know whatever position he has there as as the internet blogger comment yeah. and he knows that i mean it was obvious well we just watched what happened to kanye it's obvious what happens here and so he didn't want it to happen to him mm -hmm. he's, he's he's deliberately stultifying his own mind and deliberately trying to manage conversations in the interest of the the jews who are uh, supposedly don't exist mm -hmm. And who is who is Jonathan Greenblatt and ADL to wag their finger at anybody, lecture anybody? But nevertheless, that's the position that, that they've arrogated to themselves, that they've seized. And yeah, yeah, it's a tactic. They get in, in an organization, they go into Twitter, and they take it over. And that's full of, full of commerzars. Now, it's, it's, it's interesting that you, you it, something like this needs the sort of the intervention, intercession of sort of a uh, avant-garde or benign billionaire. You think that America... Its institutions, it's 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 sort of its civic religion of free speech and fair play would 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 kind of dictate, um, tell people how this things should be handled. But nevertheless, it's literally it, it's such a fragile thing. You need one person to do this, and uh, and um, for that, of course, he becomes a target for the regime. But it's interesting again that you would think that again the governmental institutions, politicians. Uh, legal associations will come out and, and condemn the ADL, condemn these efforts of censorship, because it really is, it's an affront to the American creed to the extent that it exists. It's like, without that, America really doesn't exist. And maybe that's their, uh, that's their goal, I guess, is to kind of do away with America as such, because now they're in a position of not only, not only of a demographic replacement, but, but with a demographic replacement, a supplanting, it's almost like a supplanting of our institutions, like, you know, uh, doing away with the ideas that made America what, you know, at least what we thought it was, <laughs> you know, freedom, freedom of speech, freedom of association, these things. Everything has to get re uh, reinterpreted in light of what the ADL considers permissible. Now, who gave these people the right to do this? Everyone has capitulated to us to some extent to their speech codes. And that's the problem. So how do you how do you push back? Uh, Donald Trump will give you a classic example of uh, someone who doesn't know how to push back because he had uh, dinner with Kanye and uh, Nick Fuentes. And immediately the, the Jews started ranting at Donald Trump, the most pro-Jewish president in history, saying that he had, uh, referring to uh, Nick Fuentes, this is David Friedman, the guy who was ambassador to Israel, appointed to that position by Donald Trump, refers to Nick Fuentes as human scum well i'm sure he meant that in a positive sense <laughs> i mean isn't this hate speech and, and then and then jordan peterson chimes in by the way jordan peterson revealed his true colors over the same period of time you know you always had some doubt in your mind well then he goes full-blown uh pro-israeli bootlicking when ben shapiro flies him over to israel and he arranges a dinner with benjamin netanyahu and there he is shaking hands with Benjamin Netanyahu, uh, talking about how Israel, Palestine was basically empty. There was no one there, you know? And so, of course, the Jews could come in and take it over. What's wrong with that? You know, pre preposterous, no, no basis in reality whatsoever for what he's saying. A land without a people, a people without a land. Right, that was the Joan Peters uh, thesis of the 1970s, which was totally discredited. Nobody if you can, if you can put it on a bumper sticker, you know it's true. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so all of this type of stuff is happening at the same time and it's becoming more and more uh, unavoidable. And so who, uh, who is responding to this? Well, it's the Catholic, the neocon Catholic crowd. 
So Robbie George writes an article in one of his uh, organs. He's the professor at Princeton who uh, his job is uh, defending Catholic Jewish dialogue, which he does in an article that is full of error, unsubstantiated claims. Uh, we're going to, Bob Sengenis has written a rebuttal that will appear in Culture Wars. And we, well, I'm going to have Bob on my podcast at five o'clock on Friday to talk about this. But basically, you know, the alarms are going off. Someone has to save this, this ship. This ship is going down, the ship of Catholic Jewish dialogue. Robbie George is talking as if nothing, it's still 1965, as if the ink isn't dry yet on Nostra Aetate. And uh, there's just a rosy future ahead of us. No, no, we've had 60 years of bad experience because of this. 60 years and you're pretending nothing happened. Just most recently, you know, all of this were brothers. There are elder brothers in the faith. It's basically just one faith. You know, there's not really that much difference between Catholicism and Judaism. This is the gist of this, this ridiculous article uh, uh, issued for about four months after the overthrow of Roe versus Wade when 140 Jewish organizations come forward and say abortion's a fundamental Jewish value. Wait a minute, I didn't know that. Did, I didn't know our elder brothers felt that killing innocent children in the womb was part of their religion. Why didn't they tell me this before? Why didn't they tell us this in 1965? Maybe we would have amended uh, uh, Nostra Tate to take uh, account of this. Maybe they never would have launched this ridiculous failed experiment known as Catholic Jewish dialogue. But certainly once the, the word is out, we, the Catholic Church has to change its policy. You can't pretend that these people believe the same. If, you, if they don't believe the same thing about innocent human life, a life and death matter like that, what the hell are we supposed to talk about? What do we have in common? Nothing. They don't worship Yahweh. That's not something Yahweh commanded. That's something Moloch commanded. So the conclusion is clear. The people who call themselves Jews are Moloch worshipers. Now, what do we have in common with Moloch worshipers? Nothing. So the policy of the Catholic Church should be now, what can we do to thwart Jewish political power so that we can protect innocent life by, 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 by preventing abortion? That I, if, if there's an error in my train of thought here, point it out, please. Wait, well, you're not supposed to acknowledge Jewish power, just, just bow to it. Yeah, it doesn't... You know, it's the, those who... So, so the Catholic yeah. Church completely out of touch with reality, completely out of touch with the reality of the situation. And every, every other week, some bishop somewhere stands up and says, we have to fight anti-Semitism. Well, wait a minute, when are the bishops going to defend the Catholics who are part of their flock? What about all the Catholics that get deplatformed by the ADL? who is trying to destroy the ability to earn a livelihood. When are the Catholic bishops going to talk about that? Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, well, they're not because, again, it's they're like stuck back in that Catholic-Jewish dialogue, which is just um, letting the Jews roll over them, you know, in the culture war. Because you can't take, you can't address Jewish political power or financial power or cultural power because to do that uh, makes you Hitler, you know. Yeah, so the culmination of Catholic-Jewish dialogue came with that statement that was associated with Bishop Keeler of Baltimore and basically said that uh, Jews can be saved without baptism. The Mosaic Covenant is eternally valid. Well, that was so bad that the USCC that commissioned the document never released it. It was so heretical. And so what happens is, uh, you know, I guess about uh, 10... 15 years ago, uh, the bishops issue a statement in their catechism saying the Mosaic Covenant is eternally valid. Bob Sengenis then wrote an article which appeared in Culture Wars around that time saying this is clearly heretical. Uh, it needs to be removed. Next thing we know, oh, oh, wait a minute, the bishops just removed it. And then they issue a press statement saying it has nothing to do with the article in Culture Wars. Uh, so something <laughs> in that is one of those opaque statements that uh, St. Paul makes on a regular basis, uh, and they don't admit that they basically had to uh, take it out because it is heretical and it contradicts 
uh, it contradicts the plain uh, sense of, of scripture. Well, the consequence of this is is uh, having uh, Jonathan Greenblatt and Yoel Roth determine what you're allowed to say and think. Absolutely. Well, we, we already have reached the point where the Jews determine who gets canonized now. So why not everything else? Hand everything over. This is the crisis that we're facing right now. We have to stand up to this crisis. It can't go on this way. Not from the civic point of view in terms of abortion, not from the theological point of view. It cannot go on. It's over. It's over. That era ended. The era of Catholic-Jewish dialogue ended in the spring when the Jews announced that abortion was a fundamental Jewish value. It's over. It's over. We're constantly confronting periods of history where it ended and people refused to admit that it ended. You know, classic instances. 1991, the fall of communism. At that point, uh, people like Pat Buchanan were saying, well, that, let's close down NATO. Well, of course you should have done that. But no, it, it, it was used to use, to, to take the, betray the trust of the Russians and then leading up to the war that we're fighting right now, a direct result of that betrayal of Russian trust. So it, it happens all the time. You still have, you know, like, if, if Robbie George can raise money by talking this way about Catholic Jewish dialogue, he will talk as if it's still 1965 with no understanding. It's over. It ended. It can't go on. It's over. Let's just shut it down. Let's have a, a rational policy now rather than something based on wishful thinking. Yeah, and of course, now we have the White House advocating the grooming of children, and if you don't uh, accept that, you're an anti-Semite. This is you're, so you're, out of yeah. touch with reality. There has to be a course correction. There's got to be a course correction. I don't know where it's going to come from, but I mean, basically, we're all going to have to start standing up to it and saying, "No, we're not going to." You, you don't have the pass anymore. You don't have the get out of jail card anymore. You know, we're not going to. We're not going to accept it anymore. We're of Jewish hegemony over our culture. We're tired of Jews telling us what we're allowed to say. And if we don't go along with it, tired of these having these Jews trying to destroy our lives. That is not consistent with uh, American principles. And the sooner we wake up to it, the better off we're all going to be. You mentioned, of course, NATO. And, uh, and of course, not disbanding NATO it led to this war in the Ukraine. And of course, uh, there's Germany being victimized. Uh, they, their economy is being dismantled, deindustrialized, uh, supposedly to uh, prolong this conflict with Russia in the Ukraine, uh, cutting off you know the flow of energy, which is going to you know pretty much throttle or cut off the lifeblood of German industry, uh, which is sort of the heart economic center of Europe itself. And this um, brings to mind, of course, uh, the, the, the last attempt to destroy Germany. And that was, uh, of course, the Second World War, or at least the aftermath of the Second World War, with this thing called the Morgenthau Plan. You did a review of this biography uh, on Henry Morgenthau by Andrew Meyer. Yeah. And you talk about the Morgenthau Plan, and this isn't much, isn't widely known about this attempt to uh, kill millions of Germans, they, success, they succeeded in many respects, but to destroy Germany, I guess the Cold War stopped it. Cooler heads prevailed in the State Department at the time. And I guess Jewish power wasn't total at the time, so they didn't get their way. But uh, yeah, Henry Morgenthau, the Morgenthau Plan, uh, what, what was all, all that about? Well, when it became apparent that uh, the United States was going to win the war, they got together and they started talking about uh, what type of peace we should have hard peace or a soft peace. And the main advocate for the hard peace was the Jewish Treasury Secretary, Henry Morgenthau. Now, Henry Morgenthau, uh, now the interesting thing about Meyer's biography is that it's taught, covers three generations. So Morgenthau's father, Henry uh, Sr., was the ambassador to Turkey during the uh, Armenian genocide crisis. Uh, and uh, played a, a, a significant role there. You know, for, you know, seemed okay. His son, Morgenthau Jr.'s son was a, a distinguished prosecutor in New York. And then you get to Mo the most famous Morgenthau, the one that everybody knows about is Henry Morgenthau Jr., who was Secretary of the Treasury. D 
did, as far as I can tell, I mean, I read the biography, he did absolutely nothing to solve the greatest financial crisis in American history, uh, namely the Great Depression. His, his apparent only uh, talent was uh, telling Franklin Delano Roosevelt what he wanted to hear. So they, they were neighbors basically uh, along, they had uh, estates near each other along the Hudson. Uh, they socialized and uh, Roosevelt brought him in as secretary of treasury where he, as I say, he did absolutely nothing uh, to resolve the uh, Great Depression. And then the war comes along and then he's still there. And uh, uh, suddenly uh, the Jews start uh, talking about what they want to happen. So you had uh, a, a Jew by the name of uh, Theodor Kaufmann, who wrote a book called uh, Germany Must Perish, in which he said that, uh, you know, talked in very calm, measured tones about sterilizing the entire German population uh, and then selling them into slavery. In other words, complete racial genocide of uh, the thought that I thought we were supposed to be fighting against when we're taking on the Nazis. Well, isn't that what that what war was about? Well, no, it meant basically now the rise of Jewish racial genocide coming from the mouth of someone like uh, Theodore Kaufmann. Another guy, a Jewish lawyer by the name of Louis Neiser also joined in. He wrote a book similar, along similar lines. And so then Morgenthau comes along and writes his book in which he quotes uh, Kaufman's proposal to sterilize the entire German population in a somewhat sympathetic tone and says, no, no, we're, we're not going to go that far. We don't read. This is a classic good cop, bad cop. Okay, Morgenthau's the good cop. So we're not going to sterilize the German people and sell the men into slavery and uh, uh, auction off the women. Uh, we're going to uh, destroy the Ruhrgebiet which is where all their energy comes from, the coal mines. We are going to de-industrialize Germany. We're going to turn it into an agrarian society. And he says this knowing full well that there is not enough land in Germany to feed that population. And if you destroy their industry, uh, 20 million Germans will starve to death. Now, this is known as the moderate position now. Uh, because of lunatics, uh, homicidal maniacs like Theodore Kaufmann. Uh, so at this point, uh, there's a debate about the hard piece versus the soft piece. And Morgenthau, who doesn't know shit about economics, suddenly becomes an expert on how to uh, uh, rule Germany. And he's talking of uh, changing the, the, uh, the army guidelines and so on and so forth. And one of his enthusiastic supporters is General Eisenhower, who engages in his own form of the Morgenthau plan, which is basically by starving German soldiers to death in what are known as the Rheinwiesenlager, the Rhine Meadows camps. Uh, big scandal came out in the 1990s. It, I was there in the 70s, no one talked about this. I was about 40 kilometers away from Rheinberg, which is where right on the other side of the Rhine. That was one of the camps. No one knew about this. I didn't know anything about it. It wasn't until 20 years later that people found out about it. And by that point, it was kind of a, a, moot, uh, a moot discussion. But this is the type of uh, uh, hard peace being manifested by Eisenhower, who clearly wanted, wanted the Jews on his side. His, uh, the head of his uh, psychological, or second in command of the psychological warfare, operation was C.D. Jackson, uh, a Jew who then became his campaign manager, got him elected president, and then became head of psychological warfare under, under Eisenhower. So these are the people that he's working with, and the man who does not like what's going on is General Patton. So uh, Joseph Ratzinger uh, was basically captured by Patton's army. He spent a couple of weeks and got sent home, I think by June, uh, whereas the people that have been captured by Eisenhower spent the entire summer uh, on those camps starving to death. Uh, no water, no shelter, no food. This is where it, this is where it, 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 this is what it was coming to. And with Patton, the rumor starts coming out that, uh, wait a minute, I don't agree with the way these people are being treated. 
he fought them as a soldier and and treated them tried to treat them honorably and suddenly he, all of his attempts were being undermined by the jews who were manufacturing incidents to basically discredit Patton, including the one where he said it was said off the record that being in the ss was kind of like being a democrat or republican <laughs> prophetic words i think <laughs> anyway uh, the Jewish press made a big deal out of that, and he understood which way it was going. And he decided that uh, he's going to go back and run for president. He's not going to, he's not, go he's going to resign. He's not going to retire. Doesn't want their pension. And at that point, uh, he had an accident. And I think, if you want my honest opinion, I think he was murdered. And the accident was completely mysterious. And then he showed up in a hospital, and a hospital is the best place to murder somebody. So anyway, Patton's dead and Eisenhower becomes the president that Patton, I'm sure it could have become. That's, that's the type of background that's going on here. Now, all of this is been, has been suppressed. Now, to some extent, it has been not been expressed because if you have a German uh, school textbook, they will talk about the Morgenthau plan. Now, the difference, what is, it, what is the difference now? The fact of the matter is that Princess Gloria von Torn und Taxis uh, a kind of flamboyant lady married to a much older guy. He used to be known as Prince Johnny TNT uh, back in the socialite days of the 1970s. She's going on TV and she's saying, hey, what the Greens are doing right now is the new Morgenthau plan. Now, this is serious. I mean, this is, this is serious because what's the difference? What's the difference now? The difference is that in 1946 and 47, the Germans knew they were hungry. They knew that the Jew Morgenthau was starving him to death, and they knew enough to get out on the streets and start protesting. And their protest found a sympathetic hearing in Cardinal Frings of Cologne, who actually had the, 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 uh, the wild idea that as Cardinal Archbishop of Cologne, he should defend the Catholic flock that was dependent on him in their hour of need, and he did. What's the difference? Now we don't have uh, bishops like that, and we don't have Germans like that. So you got a nation of Germans, uh, except for Princess Gloria, who won't even admit what's going on. And so it's as if it's 1947 and no one's admitting they're hungry. So now it's 2022, and no one's admitting they're cold. Or wait a minute, wait a minute. We're, they're, they're paying six times what they used to be paying for gas because it's liquefied natural gas that they're getting from American ships. And the Americans are gouging them after blowing up their pipeline. Now this is outrageous. And the Germans can't even admit it. They can't even admit what's going on. It's horrendous. And if you ever want to, I mean, I, I told my Iranian friends, okay, who wanted me to talk about the hijab crisis. Uh, and I said, tell those ladies that are taking off their hijab, if they want to know where this is leading, tell them to look at Germany, where we've had the complete collapse of sexual morality, as witnessed by the Catholic Church and their zenodal vague. Uh, asking for a uh, married priest and homosexual marriage, complete collapse of sexual moral, uh, morality. And what does that lead to? A completely docile population that now can't even ask who blew up their pipeline. Everybody knows the Americans did it with British help, probably. Everybody knows who did it, but except the Germans. And they can't admit it to themselves. Well, this is a very serious situation. Very serious. What can you do at a point like this? Yeah, you mentioned in the article that uh, after, um, I guess, after 1947, a decision had been made to, uh, I guess, switch course, change course, and not impose a, um, you know, a harsh peace. Uh, Abandon the Morgenthau plan and... Um, uh, with the I guess with the currency reforms, invest in Germany because Germany, West Germany is going to be a bulwark against the Eastern Pact, you know, the Warsaw Pact, which is taking form uh, in the in the post-war settlement with uh, Russia holding Eastern Europe. 
uh, how at that very moment, uh, the, the, the U.S. Uh, occupying authorities started uh, corrupting German sexual morals. Right. Uh, which, right. again, which would make them docile. And they, this would be a multi-generational thing, which we're seeing the, sort of the bitter fruits of this now. They don't have the, um, I guess, the... Um, the identity or the, uh, even the, the virility to stand up to these things because of the demoralizing effects of, 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 sex, of the sex there's, revolution. There's a new word circulating in Germany now uh, referring to men as Zitzpinkler. Zitzpinkler. This is someone who pees sitting down. That is, <laughs> that, that is the word that has been used to characterize German men. Largely okay. because they've been emasculated because of the sexual revolution. No one connects. Yours truly is the only guy who's connecting these dots. Yeah. Okay. And I'm getting letters now from people in Germany. The word is getting out and they're telling me, yeah, I've been listening to your podcast. I'm getting through. I've been reinstated on Twitter on a regular basis. I get complaints from Germany. Uh, Twitter is now saying the standard response is we have reviewed what you said. And it doesn't violate Twitter's policy. And then they usually add or German law until I tweeted something about Dennis Prager. Oh, yes. <laughs> statement he made. Sorry, I know you're one of our elder brothers, but this is one of the dumbest theological statements I've ever heard in my life where Prager says, if Holocaust deniers get into heaven, there is no God. Ah, this is brilliant. This is brilliant. So I said, uh, Dennis Prager doesn't understand that baptism is necessary for salvation, not opinions on the Holocaust. That got me uh, banned in Germany. Saying baptism is necessary for salvation. Opinions, saying opinions on the Holocaust, baptism is necessary for salvation. Well, I guess that's hate, according to uh, Jonathan Greenblatt or something. Tell me, tell me specifically, it was paragraph 130. The notorious paragraph 130 in the Grundrecht, which is basically Grundgesetz, I'm sorry, Grundgesetz, which is against uh, Volksverhetzung, ethnic incitement. What's ethnic incitement about that? Well, didn't that priest was getting in trouble for, uh, for uh, condemning homosexuality in a, in a homily? It, wasn't that ethnic incitement too that they tried to get him on? Father, Father Darius Oko from uh, Krakow. And it's in Poland, yes, yeah, so in I, Poland of all places. But that that was that was under the pressure of the, of the European Union, wasn't it? No, it was a German court, basically a German priest, Catholic priest. I mean, look, I don't want to oh. cast aspersions, but the guy shows up at every single uh, gay pride parade in Munich, uh, kissing another guy on the lips. Well, I don't want to jump to conclusions here, but I, think <laughs> if it walks like a duck and talks like a duck, it's probably a duck. And the fact that he dragged him into court is probably an indication of his guilty conscience in this regard. And the judge, uh, I was set for a big type of showdown here because uh, Father Oko sent me the, the whole story. And then it comes to a trial and the, the judge is obviously embarrassed by paragraph 130. First of all, what's this got to, it's called Volksverhetzung. Folk is the word for ethnic group, folk. Are homosexuals an ethnic group now? Can we bring this up in court? The judge is obviously embarrassed by this. You've got a whole nation of people, uh, jurists, who are embarrassed by this ridiculous paragraph 130. And so he uh, tries to broker a deal in which he says, well, Father Oko, you, you called the homosexuals parasites. Uh, and Oko says, well, in, in Polish, it has a slightly different meaning. I thought that was kind of funny. But uh, uh, so he brokered a deal where Oko apologizes for using the word paragraph and he gets off scot-free. No fine, no nothing. And the book can now be published if he takes the word parasite out. So I was disappointed. I was hoping that they would overturn the law, but that this is a corrupt system. Yeah. You know, it's a rigged game. So, uh, you know, I, maybe I was too harsh uh, on Father Oko for the compromise, but I mean, who am I to say? He's the one who would have to go to jail. Yeah. To jail. So who am I? You know, I was just a little too emotional, I think. But yeah, he's, he's the one in the dock. Yeah, so it's hard to, you know. Right. So I was hoping, right, yeah. you know, the, the, 
the liberation of the German mind, they overturned paragraph 130, but it's not that simple. They are a vassal state. Vassals do not- Well, that's a, a funny thing, that line that uh, Prager had regarding the Holocaust, he said, you know, says, why don't, why, why is the Germans don't question it? I was like, really? <laughs> They're yeah. conquered. Is that, why, is that what you want over here? Oh, yeah, you do. Go, you, <laughs> it's like, you're not going to admit it in front of the Goyim, but that's exactly what you want. Anybody who criticizes the Jews should go to jail. Yeah. Then he selectively quotes Patton, which I thought was funny, because a lot of other quotes he could have used in that article that Patton said, or have been attributed to Patton, regarding Semitic vengeance and such uh, in Germany in the post-war occupation. Um, yeah. And again, what they're really doing, is, and this is almost goes back to what Joe Biden said in the speech, is they're roping in racism, homophobia, transphobia. And anti-Semitism, all in the same thing. So basically, if you uh, adhere to any traditional sense of morality, natural law, or even logic, um, you're you're guilty uh, of hate speech, and you can be deplatformed. Even and many uh, in some countries uh, prosecuted. There is a, uh, I think she's a lesbian in Norway being prosecuted for saying that men. Uh, that uh, uh, apparently that women don't. She said that women don't have penises and men can't be cannot be women, and they're putting her in jail for. It. She's facing two years in jail for it. Throw away the key. Throw away the key. <laughs> and it's kind of funny because she's a lesbian activist, and I said, "Well, you know, we've come a long way, baby. I'm sorry. Um, you're the revolution, and the revolution is devour their children. It's passed you by." That's right. That's you exactly know. what happened. You know. It's like uh, Bill Maher going off about some of the stuff about, well, you're the, re you're the sexual revolutionary. You know, um, we tried to warn you this would happen if you, if you continue down this path. Yeah. And that's what's happened. And now it's lost all sense of, again, they're, they're, they're I think they're intentionally creating a clown world because they, they profit off all the confusion. They profit off the moral confusion, all the human misery that comes from it. You know, that's what they're, they're just, they're, 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 they profit off human misery, whether it's wars, you know, or, you know, a sexual abuse and trauma in society. They don't want a healthy, coherent society. And that's, it goes back to the authoritarian personality. So anyway, the lady, the lady writes to me, a uh, German lady, you know, she says she mentioned, uh, she said, uh, she was listening to myself. She brings it up with her family. She told them to read uh, uh, Zobila Stein, it's a Stein, Steinbacher. Uh, their book, Wieder Sex nach Deutschland kam, How Sex Came to Germany. They, they read it and they're speechless. They never, they never knew any of this type of stuff. This is about the whole story of the defeat of the German Legion of Decency and so on and so forth. McKinsey being introduced and all that, yeah. That was all in, it's all in that book. It's a good, good book. Obviously, she's sympathetic to this whole thing. She thinks it was genuine liberation rather than control, but that's, you know, like classic graduate student. But uh, anyway, she did uh, a lot of good research, and it's it's worth reading. I included it in my whole chapter on Werner Heisenberg in uh, Logos Rising because it's important stuff. But so in, out of the blue, she tells me, you know, I've been listening to Sleepers Awake. And I said, uh, the Bach piece? Yeah, it's the Bach mm -hmm. cantata. It's the, actually the fourth movement of his cantata number 170. It's a very soothing, yes. Oh, it's a, it's a beautiful piece of music, yes. absolutely beautiful piece of music. And I said to her, you know what? I've been listening to it too. <laughs> I don't know what it is. It's kind of because it's 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 now settled into part of the ad advent, a piece of advent music. Uh -huh. And the whole point of this is it's based on the the scripture, the ten wise virgins. Uh, the the first line is Vachet ruf Wake up, and I thought this is exactly what has to happen in Germany. Wachet auf! You 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 turned away from Christianity uh, to and chose sexual liberation, and now you're all slaves. And you know what you need? You need a Messiah, and that's what Advent's about. We're waiting for a Messiah because this world has been so is so wicked; it can't save itself. It cannot save itself. We need a redeemer. And this is exactly what the Germans need. And so uh, we're gonna translate the article into German and I'm doing a little video and I'm gonna play Sleepers Awake as part of the video. Because as I said in the art book in The Dangers of Beauty, the artists can sometimes 
portray what the philosopher cannot explain or the politician uh, dare not say. Right. And I'm, uh, I'm hoping that Bach, this residual cultural patrimony that every German is aware of, will have an effect, that the music will have an effect, and the effect should be to repent. <laughs> it's that simple. Well, that's what the, uh, you mentioned in your article. Well, one thing interesting, didn't the Allies blow, demolish Bach's home? In in uh in uh yeah well in Weimar in Weimar yeah I was there I'm taking a tour of the city and I said well what's that crater over there oh that was box house <laughs> it's a, another oh, form <laughs> atomic weapons hidden in the basement of box house <laughs> they, they hated Bach well I guess they revolution will hate Bach so um uh, box music is as sublime as yes. You know, I mean, it developed after Bach. I cover that in The Dangers of Beauty. Now, Beethoven's great leap forward in terms of musical might. Mm -hmm. But you just can't take away the spirituality of Bach's music. And I'm saying it resonates with the soul. And I hope it resonates with the German soul this winter as these poor bastards are freezing to death in their own apartments because the Americans blew up their pipeline. It's time to repent. Germany. Well, you mentioned in that article, in the closing paragraph of the article, you mentioned the 1890 article in or a series of articles in Schiffelto Council Cab regarding the uh, alienation, of course, the, the um, French Revolution and the alienation of the French nation from, from Jesus Christ, which led them to be ruled by Jews. And um, that's sort of the entire Western world, I think, we're, we're dealing with now is the sort of the uh, it's alienation from its Christian roots and it's um, that you yeah. you uh, turn away from Christian laws and Christian culture. You will be ruled by Jews. I remember reading that for the first time. I was stunned by something that seems so improbable and yet so true all in one moment. And which is why Joel Roth and Jonathan Greenblatt are telling us what we can think and say. That's right, because we we handed it to them. And uh, as I said before, uh, when I talked about uh, the, the Jewish sacrament of abortion, uh, large numbers of Catholic women participated in the Jewish sacrament of abortion and they became Jews. And we know that because they vote for Jews. And we know that they vote for Jews because no Jew could get elected in Pennsylvania without the Catholic vote. Yeah, if you had strong Catholic identity, that wouldn't happen in Pennsylvania. Never happened. Yeah, would, yeah. Now you have Josh Shapiro who bragged about how he attacked the Catholic Church and got elected. Well, if you want to get someone to be alienated from the Catholic identity, promote sexual corruption. Absolutely. This, yeah. is, this is my message to Germany. Mm -hmm. I watched it. I, I was there as it was happening. You know, we now know the consequences. It's time to wake up. <laughs> That's the whole point. Wachet auf. Wachet auf, ruft uns die Stimme. It's time to wake up and repent and acknowledge the fact that you need a Messiah. We all need a Messiah because we cannot redeem ourselves from the consequences of our sins. Yeah, so if you look at the problems with, you know, with, with the electoral process, politics or the economy, it all goes back to moral issues, right? Moral, these are moral questions. And you're not going to get that right until people get their own personal lives right. You know, you're not going to have public order uh, if you have uh, internal chaos. And the whole modern world, which is Jewish, according to Yuri Sluskind, is to promote internal chaos. So we become, you know, atomized individuals, uh, you know, they can be easily exploited. That's right. um, the positive message is that um, it's just a, it's an issue of consciousness. People uh, get becoming aware of Logos and breaking free of their chains. Once you become aware of this, it, it, it ends. And that's it's, it's a one big bluff, if you will. And you, and people have to get their own personal lives in order. And uh, that's how you, you you're going to win. You're going to win this. Um, uh, well, hey, that's, brother, so, I couldn't have said it better myself. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, that's uh, uh, yeah. Do you, everyone was was waiting for the grand gesture, right? Yeah, that's not how these things work out. Um, maybe start by listening to Bach. If you have if there's chaos in your life, Just, listen to Bach. It'll use order. What I what I gathered after having read the dangers of beauty. 
Mm -hmm. It may be the only thing that can reach the German people at this point because they've been so brainwashed and socially engineered that 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 listen listen to sleepers awake. Wachet auf Deutschland. Yeah, stop guilt tripping over twelve lousy years and uh, start thinking about your patrimony, your history, your, your music. Feel guilty, you can go to confession. Yeah, confess your sins. This way, you chose not to go to confession because you wanted to keep on sinning, and the result was a permanent state of chronic guilt based on something you didn't do. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, that's <laughs> that's yeah, yeah that's. We're still alive who were involved alive during World War II. Okay, how many people are have were born after World War II? Mm -hmm. The country now, Baerbock is only 30 some years old. I guarantee you she didn't kill any Jews in Auschwitz. Mm -hmm. And if you read, you know, your piece on the Morgenthau plan and also the war itself, the Allied bombing, the atrocities committed by the Allies, uh, yeah, you know, the the war itself was a holocaust, if you will, and uh, there wasn't only one guilty party to that. You no. know, and it, again, it's a thirty. It was a thirty-year war. You talk about the Mackinder thesis and the the, uh, the uh, intrigues of the British Empire disrupting the continent, main, you know, keeping Germany from uh, uniting with Russia, fomenting these conflicts. So it's it's a much more interesting, um, uh, complicated affair. Than what you know we're given in in the textbooks that or a history channel or whatever you know it's uh it becomes much more morally ambiguous as you do deeper and deeper research into it it's yeah. just, you know so the guilt things uh you know it's there's enough guilt to go around so just stop assessing on it stop feeling bad about yourself you know and and uh and, look this is the message of the messiah mm -hmm. it's it's the removal of guilt the forgiveness of sins that is the whole point of advent but then the reparation payments will stop. What's that? <laughs> the reparation payments will stop. <laughs> All you have to do is say you're yeah. sorry. Yeah. And go back to church and suddenly you will re regain the power you lost when you become became the vassal to your Jewish social engineers. Mm -hmm. It's simple. Well, that's a positive message for the Christmas. It is. It is. I agree with you. And Love I'm it. positive. So I, I want to tell everyone go go right now after we sign off here, go and listen to Sleepers Awake. There are many versions on YouTube. Go listen to it. And say a prayer for the German people. Dr. Jones, I want to thank you. Thank you, Tim. It's always a pleasure. Going back on, that's Dr. Michael Jones, Culture Wars, Culture Wars magazine, culturewars.com. You can go there, uh, subscribe to the magazine. You can get it in paper form or in PDF form or both. And of course, the books there. That's where you get the books. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, Tim.